You're listening to Tarot Talk, and I'm your host, Holly Ramey. I'm going to serve you some practical magic and give you tips and tools to bring the mystical into your everyday life. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 30 of Tarot Talk. I'm your host, Holly Ramey, and I'm super excited to be sitting down today with Ramona Reed. Ramona is an intuitive Enneagram coach. She's also a licensed licensed massage therapist, a Reiki master, and the founder of the Nashville Center for Alternative Therapy, which is an amazing healing center here in East Nashville. Welcome, Ramona. Thanks for joining me. Thanks. It's good to be on your podcast, Holly. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So I thought that you could just start by telling the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do, and we'll go from there. Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, all of those things that are about right. Um, I started getting into the Enneagram about probably nine years ago. And um, I've been a, a massage therapist for, gosh, 13 and been doing energy work of some kind or another since my 20s. And I'm 45 now. So everything's just sort of integrated into um, this this practice that I do. This, I just you know call intuitive coaching. I also do energy work as well. Um, but yeah, things have been a little bit different lately because of the whole pandemic, you know, we're just kind of dipping our foot back into working. And so, um, and shifting our way of being with people to online like this, you know, talking to people virtually doing energy work virtually, um, been doing a lot of studies and training also in the Enneagram, cause I can do that by my whole life and be happy learning more. Um, but the center is 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 start up up and running on a kind of reduced volume right now. Um, here in Nashville, you know, we're in phase two right now of our reopening. So um, yeah, it's it's been a challenging time. It's been beautiful to have this time to spend with my kid. I'm also a mom. That's probably my favorite of my roles. Um, and I've been listening a lot lately, so a lot quieter. So actually, having this opportunity to speak to you is a little bit different because I've been doing a lot more like just sort of listening and asking questions what with everything going on with social justice and black lives matter and all of that. So Mm. I have felt a similar way that the need to listen is so important now. Um, And yeah, it's so interesting how this is happening at the same time of a pandemic that kind of initiated us into silence and how after a few months of that, we all got really quiet and then we decided to get really loud. Um, yeah. I wonder what, I mean, I would love to talk to you about that. Like what the, what the, I know you know a lot about like astrology too and tarot, like what is this that we're going through? Because you're right. What if we wouldn't have had that three month primer mm. of just being separate and, and, and um, quiet and more alone and more paying attention I wonder if if this would have taken as much hold as it as it has as it's needed to, you know? Like if we went right from our like crazy type A, go, 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 busy, busy, into needing to really mobilize and listen. I wonder if our if our personalities would have allowed us to, you know? It's interesting 
I, I've been thinking a lot about that myself because like if you look back and you'll see this, I'm not an astrologer, but if you look through some astrology pages, you will see a lot of astrologers talking about how some of the outer planets, the slow moving planets um, are in the same position as they were in the civil rights movement um, during... <clears throat> Also, uh, where they were during um, everything that happened with Rodney King. Um, so we're seeing this kind of continuum of what happens when these planets enter the sign at this degree. Um, yeah. We're in the That's middle. Crazy. Yeah. That's crazy to me. I like astrology is kind of crazy to me. I have another thing I, I have as a radio show here in Nashville, and I just interviewed Rachel Lang, who's an astrologer outside of in LA. Mm. And we were actually talking about this. We we're talking about astrology, the pandemic. Um, what's going on with Rachel and the social justice and how it's all like, you know, in the stars. And you're right, like how everything has has happened in this kind of patterned way. To me, it's crazy and, and, and wonderful and I don't, very confusing. <laughs> I don't understand any of that, much as I don't understand a lot of the things that the insights I glean from Carol, but it's true. It is. And also, you know, I think what you were talking about, about getting so quiet and looking inward and then you know, it's not the first time <laughs> this has happened, but it's the first time in a long time that there's been such a reaction. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the pandemic gifted a lot of us that silent mm -hmm. and slow For down. Sure. And For sure. For sure. Um, and, yeah. and getting back to the Enneagram stuff, it's like, yeah, that I've gotten a lot of calls during the this this quarantine from people like, you know, I have a lot of time on my hands and a lot of have I have a lot of me on my hands and I'd like to have some guidance. And I was surprised how much um I want some guidance on how to listen to myself and listening listen to what's real for me. And that's what you know the Enneagram definitely does. It provides us this like template of what our gifts are, but also where we uniquely struggle. And um, there's a lot of people been waking up lately, myself included, and um, found myself apologizing to a member of the Black community this morning that, I, that it's taken us this long, yeah, you know, to really listen. And I think, you know, this is, you know, the Enneagram being one tool, I think astrology, all these things being tools to look at ourselves and to pay attention and to slow down and see how our way of being in the world has um, not always benefited ourselves or others. You know, and, and how actually it could, because it's not just Enneagram isn't just this like kind of um, character of our faults. It's, mm -hmm. it's really a deep dive into what we're here for, sort of our divine presence, what our gifts are, what our inherent strengths are, and um, how we can have them show up in an integrated body, mind, heart, and, and actually be active and be, be responsible as, as citizens. And so, so. The So just to backtrack for a moment, because the Enneagram is something completely new to me. And like you, I've been doing this kind of work since my early 20s. So I, for almost two decades, did this work and had never even heard of the Enneagram until I moved down here to Nashville. And then it was like everywhere and everybody knew about it. And they're like, what's your number? <laughs> what's this thing? So what is the Enneagram? And how does it work? Right. So, I mean, that's a that's a big question. I think when you're asking that, you're asking, what is the Enneagram of personality? Because the Enneagram itself, um, there's actually 108 Enneagons, and oh. there's a lot going on with it. But, but if you just want to talk about the Enneagram of personality, we're really talking 
about four enneagons, four different parts of us, which is, and, it, and we'll get into that in a minute, but it's basically like this idea of kind of an amalgam of psychology and understanding our analytical process, um, philosophy, and spirituality. So it's it's a lot of these different things sort of combined together. It's not a spiritual process as much as, you know, inherently, but you can use it as such. Mm-hmm. It's not an analytical process inherently, but you can use it as such. Mm-hmm. For me, I think what I've done is I've kind of combined all of those things. Going back to the Enneagons, what we pay attention to are these four main things, which is your holy idea, fixation, your passion, and your virtue. And what they're basically, the idea is, is that we are, let's say, to use the words of Dr. Jerome Libba, we are efficient in one type. Usually, we have this dominant efficiency. It doesn't mean that we are a type. You know, there's 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 one through nine, but that doesn't mean that we are a four or we are a seven. It means that we are efficient. In other words, we learned young, um, very young, that these actually these um, energies of this type were an efficient way to keep us safe and secure. Mm-hmm. And our way of being then went forward through the lens of this type's energies. Right. So we have a whole spectrum though. As people, we're not just like one of nine different types or even one of 27 different subtypes, which we don't have time to get into, or <laughs> one of 54 different types. Like we're not just that. We are um, sort of a representation of all of those nine types inside of us. But there's going to be one, two maybe, that we're really efficient at, that we usually um, interact with. And we have our strengths in those areas and we have our our struggles in those areas. And so learning about your type is really, it's, it's, it's best, I think, to learn about the levels of all of your efficiencies and inefficiencies. And, um, you know, people ask a lot, well, how do you know your type? How do you find out? And there, there's different ways to, to go about it. Um, you know, testing, it, it doesn't always work. However, there are some tests that are better than others. And there's one test called the READY um, which is R-H-E-T-I on Enneagram Institute. And you can take that test and it'll give you kind of a, a overview of all of the different um, types that you're high in numbered and then low. And, and it's good to look at all of that, not just say, oh, this test says I'm a two, so I guess I'm a two. It's not just that. It's like looking at the entire spectrum of how you perceive the world or the lens that you see the world through Likely, your dominant type is going to be in the t- one of the top three of those numbers. And then that's the beginning of the conversation then that if you choose to, you can start having with yourself or with a, a trusted guide or coach, um, first and foremost, but yourself. Because the, no matter who the coach is, they're going to be seeing you through how you are perceived by them, right? So like when I'm coaching, it's like part of my practice to get out of the way of the lens of my type. Right. Because I see things through. So it's really important to, to have a mirror if you're going to be working with someone, not someone telling you, well, I think you're a six or I think you're a seven. Um, I think a, a coach that's that's done their own internal work is really important um, in any practice. I think that's important, whether it's therapy or, you know, nursing. If you're with anybody, you want to see that they're they're integrating their own work and that that's how I think the, the um, teaching is going to have integrity. So. Another way to do it is through some really amazing books that are out there. Um, and I can, I can give you some of those titles if you'd like. Yeah. Um, one of the books that I think is good to start with is The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Don Risto and Russ Hudson. Mm-hmm. And so that's the Enneagram Institute kind of approach to it. And Russ, Russ is a five. And so it's, it's kind of like analyzes and, and, and breaks everything down really beautifully. Um, a more possible like 
spiritual approach to it would be seen through the sacred Enneagram, who's by my, my favorite Enneagram coach and teacher, Chris Hewart. And that's H-E-U-E-R-T-Z. And he wrote the sacred Enneagram and also the Enneagram of belonging. And both of those books are just really beautiful to kind of delve into the more emotional, spiritual connection of, of our type. Cool. And then, um, yeah, listening to some podcast. And the other thing I'll say is if you want to kind of get into it deeper, one of the most amazing resources that's online that's free is the Sleeping at Last podcast. And that Sleeping at Last is the artist Ryan O'Neill. And he worked with Chris Hewitts to develop um, the project is a musical project. He's a musician to develop songs based on all of the nine Enneagram types. And so in that project, Chris and, and Ryan talk about the songs. They analyze the songs and, and really talk about what went into producing them and creating them. For instance, each song is um, the musicians are only those type. So if you like the song on the type one, all of the musicians were ones. Right. And, and all of the, the, the time signature, if you know anything about the one, they're very kind of structured and, and maybe rigid and perfectionist and, and driven and very body driven. So there's there's a time structure in the song that, that mirrors that. And they're also, you know, half of the song is from the perspective of one type of one and half of the song is from the perspective of the other. The lyrics are really beautiful. And it's just one of the best projects, I think, out there. If you want to understand the Enneagrams, listen to that whole podcast online types yeah you will find yourself likely in one and you will know it when you feel really uncomfortable likely <laughs> yeah that's so so going back when you were first describing the enneagram um you said that we're efficient at one and it's funny because like a lot of what you say we're talking about astrology it re- almost reminds me of astrology in like the wheel and then the slices of pie or the little you know and you're you're everybody like talks about just their sun sign but you're actually not just your sun sign you've got your moon and all the other planets but you know we talk about um it's t- it, it has a similarity like a similar mm-hmm. head and one thing that um you were saying is like you're efficient in one sign is that like nature or nurture so like are you born as an eight or like do you become an eight because of your childhood experience got it right yeah the childhood experience is a good is a good point to bring up um there's there are people out there that believes that yes we're born a certain types energy or we create we have an efficiency in one of the types however there's other people that believe that it's more strengthened around like the age of two or three through observation through the brain forming um, there's different belief systems out there. I personally believe if I look back in time that the one and two, the one wing two structure that I'm dominant in has been present my entire life as far as I can remember. Yeah. Um, saying that, I think what's what's um, influenced by our childhood, whether it's childhood traumas or, or beautiful events in our childhood and nurturing and learning, regardless, those things enhance the health of our type. So in other words... If, if there's like a little baby eight and they're nurtured and allowed to be powerful and allowed to have a voice and allowed to feel uh, important and vital and have their own sense of agency and autonomy, they might grow up to be a healthier version of eight than an eight that is grown up like you're too much, quiet down, maybe in a controlled or even abusive environment. So I think the environment or the experiences are going to determine how aware and awake we are inside of our type 
And um, but I, I, I do believe I'm on the camp in the camp of, yeah, I think we, we've had this as far as, you know, as our brain was forming, it's formed around one of these nine very distinct ways, just as like the DNA or genes are going to work. And it's yeah. just interesting that we have this map to that now. Yeah. So I did a session with you, an Enneagram coaching session, and you listened to me talk for, a, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And then you um, kind of knew intuitively or had a, a an idea of what number I might be, but you still had, I had an idea of questions to ask you, yeah. let's put it that way. I had an idea of questions to ask you because nobody knows what your type is. Yeah. So I was you, wrong about my own for six years. So I, I mean, I would, that's the thing that I would just say that if I, if I ever sat with anyone and said after 15 minutes, I know what type you are, please call me out and okay. send me an email immediately and tell me, because I think what, what a, a coach that's done their work will understand or that's done training and how to have questions and answers mm-hmm. and how to have um, these conversations is going to know the next good question Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think I get an idea of the energy of someone, but again, that's the energy that they're being through my filter of how they are for me. Right. And so it's, it's really, I think more responsible for us to, to, to hold up that mirror and to have the person ask the questions of themselves. So I, mean, I just wanted to, as a caveat, like, I don't ever tell anybody their type, please don't call me and want to know your type. <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> What you did have me do is go home and and read the book and take the quiz and do my own research to discover my type um, after we sat together for like an hour or so. Um, And I did come up with the same number that you were thinking I might be. Mm -hmm. So how do you, I guess my question is like, is it, was that like very intuitive that you just kind of like fell into my energy or is it because you've studied the Enneagram for 20 years that you just kind of like are used to seeing that? Right. Well, so, so I've only actually been a, a kind of a student of the Enneagram for about nine. Um, however, when you talk about 20 years, that's about how long as I've been doing energy work. So yeah. to combine the two things, there is a sense of intuition that comes into my coaching in that, um, but that doesn't really have to do with the Enneagram as much as it has to do with the energy of the person and, and what they're experiencing that might be causing them blocks. I know you work with people as well. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a kind of knowing on a heart level and on a body level that's, that's different than a, than a book knowing. Um, yeah. The Enneagram of personality needs to be learned by the person that the person now is coming from, right? So you're the one that can determine type. However, there's a lot of times in meeting with people that, it, that something comes up like a deep grief or some sort of um, issue around anger or control or, or um, some sort of like withdrawn energy that you can kind of work with. Well, if you put that into the template of the Enneagram, likely you're going to be one of these four or five types, right? And so we can start the conversation there and then that the conversation then will evolve to maybe at the end of that, we'll have an idea collectively that you're one of these, maybe these three. The testing is helpful, again, because it's a 144 question test and it's going to enable some things to come out that maybe wouldn't be so obvious, right? Again, though, testing is only going to test how you've been being, your behavior. Testing doesn't really indicate motivation or what's behind the behavior. And two different types can look completely the same, right, in their behavior, but have a completely different motivation, 
So you might look to me to be an eight, but really be dominant in one. Or you may look to me to be a one, but really be dominant in three because the behavior looks the same, right? Ones and threes both get a lot of stuff done. But the three, there's a different driving factor behind why. And so you're the only one really who knows that. And then with a coach, we can kind of like flesh out some questions, like try to like figure out motivation and figure out what the deep brief might be. Yeah. Um, what the lost childhood message is, what your basic drive and desire is, what your basic fear is. And each Enneagram type has one. And it happens to be just, it's crazy how across the board, you know, most nines feel this way deep down inside. And um, so what, what type did you land on, if you don't mind me asking? So I feel a little like weird about my type because it feels inherently kind of negative, but it's mm-hmm. the challenger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I forget there were four words uh, when I looked up on the the Institute and I read the whole thing in the book, but um, I wanted to do like the, Oh, I don't have it. But anyway, there were four words and they, they were all a little bit like challenging. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I think that's, that's You bring up a good point. I think that a lot of some types get that bad rap for being, especially I would say the eights, the fours, it, it, because because we see this energy oftentimes more directed toward us, toward us, when there's strife, when there's struggle, when there's disintegration, or when there's any sort of like anxiety or fear. Now, maybe a nine doesn't have that bad rap in public. Maybe their partner thinks, my gosh, you're being such a nine, right? I'm using air quotes. But, yeah. but the eight, because of that very visceral, assertive energy, when y'all aren't right, we feel it. Yeah. And so that's why I think the reputation comes. That's where it comes from. It doesn't mean there's anything inherently wrong with you, because I will tell you that if you want to go on and look at the memes and go online and look at all the different funny little groups that are out there, which are, you know, that's fine. It's bringing people to the table. Right. But if you want to look at that and just look at, yeah, type eight, you're going to get a lot of crap, you know, because the type eight, when you guys are struggling, you struggle at us. There's this disruptive force, this reaction of like anger, of like pushing. But that's why I dislike, I don't want to use the word hate, but that's why I dislike so much the way that the Enneagram is often taught in that sort of arena. Yeah. It's because it's reductive, it's damaging, and I think it's it's completely inauthentic and lacks integrity because it's not also not true. The, the, the beautiful energy of the eight is one of being able to be embodied and present with people and protective. It's this idea of complete justice for the underdog. It's this this tender, heartfelt sense of passionate, uh, standing up for another, Mm -hmm. you know, holding someone else as yours, carrying someone under your wing. We need AIDS. I mean, we all have this energy in us, right? So we need to have that eight energy stoked in us. And Mm -hmm. and y'all, the ones that are dominant in type eight, are able to mirror that back in us and let us see that we're worth actually standing up for ourselves. There's this really deep sense of like chi, of life force and power and vitality. Y'all aren't going to take a lot of crap, you know? You're going to stand up for what's right. And I, you know, I have a, a soft spot for eights because I'm dominant type one. And the ones in the eights in that intuitive center have this really visceral, beautiful relationship to their gut, their knowing. And ones and eights are really good teammates a lot of times because we both want to do what's right for people and help and fix and justice and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, as, as your uh, response though was, and it's for so many people that newly find out they're any type, right? There's this like, ugh, 
you don't <laughs> like that. Yeah. And it's because you're reading in these books the things that people have probably told you in relationship in your life that are not so great about you. Totally. But like, why are you so pissed? Oh my God, calm down. And then the, the, the trauma of that for an aide is that there's this idea that maybe you're too much for people. Mm. And that's, that's a grief, you know, especially as a woman, you know, the woman, the female aides, they, they exist. There's many of them, but we're taught not to be as women. We're taught not to be powerful and not speak our truth. And I think that's shifting but it's like men that are eights are like, ooh, look at him. He's powerful. And that's great. But women are like, no, 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 shut up and just go do the dishes. Right. And so there's this, there's this grief and talk about a deep grief and the aid of like, I want to express myself. I want to be able to show you and you and you that we can all be powerful. And, you know, you, you will tell us like it is. You will tell us the truth. You, you expect that in return. There's this really beautiful thing. Um, yeah. But I could go on about the eights. I love the eights. No, and I, I mean, listen, I'm an Aries. Like, I'm a fire sign. I'm ruled by Mars. It's like aggression and fucking, like, it's fucking and fighting. Like, this mm. is what we do. Like, we mm. challenge. And even what you were saying about, like, relationships and social justice. Like, Aries evolves through Libra, the sign of balance and justice and equality. So, so much of even just that short dialogue. Um relates to so much of my personality and I love how like when there's like that little bit of cross oh um, me too yeah I did I did another show a couple years ago with Rachel Lang about and we talked about that like what what are the, there seems like there's a lot of these signs that are this type and a lot of you know and there is I mean she studied both and so we had a fascinating conversation about that that there is some sort of correlation we don't exactly know what it is there's no scientific studies into this yeah but it's like it does seem to be that a lot of fire signs and a lot of that are the more powerful and body types you guys should get together and do that do like a podcast that'd be fun (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'll talk to her yeah um okay this i actually did some like light digging around on the internet about the history of the Enneagram. Mm. I just like to know where like shit comes from and like Mm -hmm. to the tarot, there's no like clear, like known origin. It seems there's a lot of like theories and um, I came across some things that said like um, that the Enneagram was, you know, developed by an occultist. Um, But then I've also noticed that the Enneagram is widely popular in like Christian communities, which makes sense because I never knew about it until I moved to the South. And then I read this other thing about like this occultist, like downloading the Enneagram personality types from Archangel Metatron when he was high on mescaline. So I'm just a little bit interested in like how this juxtaposition of a practice that seems to be like rooted in occult practices is like so widely accepted in like religion. And it just seems like this like total to me how that happened. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because I mean, and I'll defer most of this conversation to people that are a lot smarter than me, including Dr. Jerome Libba, including Russ Hudson, Chris Hewart's and his, um, seminars. I just did a four and a half hour one last last weekend. He can get into the history of the Enneagram for like an hour and it's amazing. What I will tell you that my understanding of it is, is that what we know again of the Enneagram now Mm -hmm. is the Enneagram of personality, which is one tiny little piece 
of what the Enneagram in essence actually is. Um, it's a complex history. It has a complex lineage. I know that it's pre-antiquity. It's old times. It's, it, and I don't mean the, the symbol that you see now or the fact that the nine is the peacekeeper. Not that, but the energies of these inherent gifts and these vices. If you think about like the sin, you know, that comes, that's where we got the, the we. That's where they got the, the seven deadly sins from. It's from the same energy of these nine vices. And then what they did, what religions often do is they'll kind of pick up a couple and be like, okay, now it's seven, right? But really, if you look at the Enneagram uh, passions, which is one of the four Enneagons we talked about at the beginning, these will sound familiar to you. Things like lust and avarice or greed, um, sloth. These are all from, you know, we get these terms because we know about the seven deadly sins in, in Christian tradition. So if you think about the Enneagram, though, History of it in these in these energies of people are different and have these different types and these different beautiful gifts. That's really old. However, the the kind of current usage and understanding began with Gurdjieff, and this was back in like late 1800s to 1900s. He was a, a teacher, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read a little bit from Jerome Lewis' book because I had it right here because I'm gonna be talking to him a little bit. But he was he was influenced by lots of different traditions, Eastern and Western traditions, and looking for different schools of inner wisdom. And according to Gurdjieff, Little writes, he found such wisdom still preserved in several millennia old orders and brotherhoods who traced their own roots back to ancient Egypt. So Gurdjieff started uh, teaching in Russia, Europe, the U.S., and he, he believed that people were asleep to their full experience of, of spirit and of will and of being. And it, what, you know, what Gurdjieff brought to it was a kind of a somatic sense or embodiment and movement to the Enneagram, to the ideas of the Enneagram. So what we know now, again, though, is that it may, took this huge leap um, through the efforts of Dr. Um, not Peruvian-based teacher, it says here, Oscar Chazo. So Chazo was the one, I think you were, you were you're yeah. talking about some sort of like downloads. Chazo believes that he received the download of these Enneagons. But he's, he's um, Chilean, he taught in this mystical school, and he, he got these kind of 108 downloads, which is where we get our passions, virtues, and holy ideas from. So he would teach in this sort of like uh, guarded, um, almost like mystery school-esque way. And um, one of the students of, of, of his was Naranjo. And Naranjo was born in 1932. He just recently passed. And he's the one that um, he studied under Achazo. He started kind of streamlining his teachings and then teaching them to other people, which Achazo didn't want, right? Because it was supposed to be sort of more of a secretive sort of thing. But Naranjo started teaching it. And then he's the one that influenced a lot of the modern teachers, including, you know, my teacher. I'm studying under the narrative tradition, and that would be Helen Palmer, David Daniels, um, those, those, those teachers. So there's that kind of um, institute of Enneagram teaching, which is the narrative tradition, which is learning about the Enneagram from the types instead of telling us like a top down, here's what the Enneagram is. It's really studying and learning and interviewing people and, and learning about them. So that's the narrative tradition. And then there's the other sort of, I guess, the Enneagram of personality um, in Christian communities, which was, I think his name is Robert Oakes or Ox. And he's the one that kind of taught that in Christian communities and inspired people like Richard Rohr, Don Risso, Russ Hudson. And they're the ones that kind of came up with this, like um, a different approach that remember the wisdom of the Enneagram I talked about at the beginning there. That's the one that's mostly kind of embraced by the Christian communities and other religious communities. Well, there's a really good reason. If you think about like good and evil, shadow side, light side, mm -hmm. our 
passions and our virtues. It's like that fits in to the template of religions saying, here's how to like, you know, pay attention to our, 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 our virtues, pay attention to our good stuff and also don't do this. So it mm-hmm. kind of turns then the Enneagram into this good and bad thing, this duality. Mm-hmm. And that just, I think, you know, not to put any religions down, but I think that that really feeds into the, the concept of religion, which is again, not spirituality. It's here's how it's supposed to be. And there's this kind of more rigid structure of it, right? So, yeah, it doesn't belong to any religion, but religions can definitely co-opt it or use it to understand themselves in the best way and to kind of like keep us in these little boxes maybe in the worst way, right? Mm-hmm. So depending yeah. on what you're talking about, like I think it's a beautiful spiritual pursuit by any religion. Like Richard Rohr, the, the person who's in charge of or starting the Center for Action Contemplation in Albuquerque, he's one of my favorite Enneagram authors, he's a, I think, Franciscan priest. Um, beautiful writing. He's also, I think, type one. And I like the way he puts things. And it's a very spiritual, Catholic, Christian approach. Um, however, there's other, you know, religious beliefs about the Enneagram that do kind of put it into like, here's why you're bad. And here's why through Christ, you need to, you know, get rid of this shadow stuff and evolve through it. Mm-hmm. And, and what resonates for me instead is this idea that, like Dr. Lewis says, it all belongs, all of it, the yeah. good, the bad, the ugly. It all is what makes us who we are. And the understanding of that shadow side and integrating those energies into ourselves and our heart and being able to embrace maybe some of those shame feelings or those anger that, things that we feel is actually part of what's creating this beautiful relationship with ourself. And so just shining the light on it, getting to know it, you don't have to eschew any. You don't have to like make yourself wrong for having one of these like deadly sins or shadow energies. Like it's part of it, you know. For for the type eight, it's like the lust of the eight, the like passion for life and moreness, right? Like I just want more intensity. Nothing wrong with that. What gets shit done? Mm-hmm. Like it's beautiful. It's all part of what makes you belong here and belong to yourself. And so that's why sometimes when we talk about religions teaching it, it can, it can, from my perspective only, turn into a bit of a, um, I don't know, just sort of a name calling, making you wrong experience. Does that make sense? Totally. And I see it like in, um, in tarot and, and astrology and other, you know, you see those like memes that just like, you know, call out the negative aspects, negative of certain cards or, you know, the, the memes about a certain sun sign and, you know, it, and it can distill it down and, and, you know, um, kind of, uh, overgeneralize it and yeah, it gets rid of the beauty too. And that, you know, it's another way that it can make us wrong and it's really reductive. And I think that's, I think that's damaging. I think I'd like to use the Enneagram or any of these practices to expand rather yeah. than contract our understanding of ourselves. I mean, I'm not a one, I'm definitely not a perfectionist. There are things I'd like to fix and perfect, but I wouldn't call myself one name. I yeah. wouldn't call myself a challenger if I was an eight or you know, just a helper. If I was the two, I think that's reductive. And that keeps us in these little boxes that don't really feel good. And they don't allow us to really understand ourselves very well. So when you're working within your type, um, how do you, let's say, um, I guess I have two separate questions. So (laughs) I'm going to separate those into two. When you're working within your type, like, what's the invitation? So like, I know I'm an eight. How do I use that information 
to better my life? Like, how do I use that information to like work through problems? Like I know I'm an eight, I've got some relationship issues. I've got some childhood trauma. What do I do? Got it. Um, so first of all, I think starting that conversation with the realization that you're not an eight is important and saying, all right, well, I have this dominant personality type that shows up when I don't, or I have this way of being that gets in the way, or sometimes brings a lot of amazing things into a situation. We don't have to think about it again. It's just negative. Okay, so how do I then use that to navigate my life? And I think that that's where the beautiful work can come in. So for me, what I've done is learned all about the one and the two. So those are my highest um, and, and learned about how they show up for other people, as well as how they show up in my life, whether it's relationally, as a parent, as a business owner. Um, I want to see what that looks like. Like, what does oneness look like to other people? What does it look like out in the world? Where's the, there's a sense of like being able to enter a room and kind of see what could be improved. And we can use that as, gosh, you're just so picky or you're so controlling. Or you can see it as like, yes, but there's a lot in this world that could really use some improvement. And so Mm -hmm. learning about my lens, because I just see that naturally. So learning about my lens and how it's in at times caused stress for other people, seeing it sort of as a separate thing from who I am inside, like my highest qualities is not to go around telling people how to live their life, right? My highest quality is is always going to be love. And for me, it's going to be a sense of service and a sense of um, kind of autonomy. Like those are the things that feel really good to me is freedom and abundance and love. And so if if I start there and then like, okay, now how does the oneness come in to either enhance that or diminish that? So reading, learning, asking other ones, how do you experience this? Asking people whose mom is a one, like, how do you experience her? And then, And then shining the really painful flashlight back at myself and saying, how has this diminished my relationships? How has this diminished my experience with myself? Because the ones that are really intense and are critic. And so how is it that I've kept myself separate from myself um, through the lens of the one? I just tried to learn all the different parts of it. Like, how am I in community when I'm I'm working as a one? How is that perceived? Um, What are some of the things I need to pay attention to? How do I integrate all my centers? Because that's important too, meaning the mind center, the mental center, the heart or feeling center, and the body or intuitive center. How do I integrate all of those? Because certain types are going to be efficient in certain centers and have another one that's like gone that we don't even like, we don't um, make that one important or really have an efficiency in it. So for instance, for the type eight, you guys are going to have a really high efficiency in the mind center and the body center a lot of thinking and doing and you're like very active and very forceful and very like "Uh uh-huh we're going to get this done but the center that can drop out is the heart center so that sense of vulnerability is really difficult for the type eight so learning that and seeing that in a book and then being like whoa yeah that's true for me I think it's important because then you can realize what center needs the attention you know for you it's it's doing heart openers physically and it's doing you know vulnerability practices and journaling and really allowing your true feelings to show up instead of just your action oriented body right mm-hmm. and for me it's like the mental center like i need to show up with a clearer head because i have a lot of emotion and doing right emotion and action for the more withdrawn types like the 4s 5s and 9s it's like the body center will drop out and they'll be a lot of times be stuck in the thinking and feeling and so this idea of needing to have their own sense of power in their body is important so learning that about yourself and what you can do, whether it's in prayer posture or physical posturing or 
things that you can do to work on your heart or is it is important in my opinion i know for instance that i need to meditate every day like it's my job mm-hmm. and that people that are body type body um the ones that where the body type drops out like the fours fives and nines need to get in their body every day you know mm-hmm. and have that sense of personal this is me this is you it's the sense of agency right well we all should get in our body every day right we all should meditate probably every day we all should like work on maybe being more vulnerable and more heart-led every day but there's just specific centers that each type can learn about that they have less efficiency yet and as i'm saying that to you holly i'm realizing that i just said what we should all do right didn't i i just said we should all do that we should all meditate and that's my that's my type right yeah. so i'm trained myself to pay attention to when the stuff that comes out of my face is actually filtered through the lens of my type one reformer fixer and I just told you what you need to do. Yeah. Well, I did just have a therapy session before this where I had to sit in my heart center. <laughs> and it was deep, deep medicine and shadow work. So you're not, not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. Um, so I know we, we don't have much time left, but it sounds like there's so much. It's such a vast and like... Um, I don't know, complex system. Yeah. And that it doesn't, it's not just about personality types. It's not just about, um, you know, your emotions or your mental or your physical or your spiritual. It's kind of combining all of these areas um, Mm -hmm. and helping you to kind of witness yourself um, or observe Mm -hmm. and, and transform. So when you come into a session, like as a coach, um, like what would, what is a session like? Like, do I come, Mm -hmm. I'm like having just like any old issue. Um, and like, how do you help to guide? Right. So it's a couple different answers. Then a lot of the clients actually come to me through this intake I do at my health center. And so people will come in with actual physical manifestations, these symptoms that they have or disease that they have, or maybe things like depression or anxiety that are, actually informed by their type Mm. right because some types are going to have higher anxieties than other types some types are going to have more which this is fascinating to me but more physical manifestations of different things in different areas of their body and that's something that I'm super interested in learning more about I did a talk on uh, Sarah Jane Case she has on Enneagram and Coffee and I did a talk on her summit this past couple months ago where I talked about the any the embodied Enneagram how it shows up in our actual symptoms and sickness. And, um, and so that's kind of how people often come to me is through some sort of dis-ease. And whether that's relationship struggle or it's things like MS or digestive disorders or you know, depression or whatever. So that's kind of, so depending on how they come in is where I can, we can start those conversations. The personality of the Enneagram, that sort of piece will always fit in this, in anything that you bring. You can always bring because that's your lens. You know, you're gonna you're gonna integrate things. You're gonna you're gonna be able to metabolize things through your personality type, right? So that's one way. Then I'll start by talking about symptom and what's not worked for you and how is it showing up and and creating um, physical and emotional stress in your body. The other way that a session will, will be is if people are just kind of trying to figure themselves out because they've been, you know, they've been going through life and they've kind of been cruising through and things just aren't quite working anymore. There's this sense of like restlessness or like, is this all there is? Or am I really being me? Like, who am I? But I see a lot of people through that lens too. 
And um, regardless, though, I think from my perspective as a coach, um, what I'm dedicated to is on sh- is in showing up for each individual person. So it's going to look different no matter who I'm sitting next to or now in this, this time of quarantine, it's who I'm Zooming with. But really, um, it's, it's showing up. And, and, and my practice is to pay most of my attention actually on my body, my reactions, how I'm receiving. So the 80-20 rule, right? Like I'm paying attention. 80% of my attention is actually on being here because what happens is when we're caring for someone or serving someone or counseling or coaching someone, a lot of our personality comes into that. And we try to effort and fix and do and heal. Right. And that doesn't work. And so if I'm actually sitting here, putting the majority of my attention on myself and my process and my breath and listening, and then, you know, whatever comes up will come up. And then a lot of the stuff that, and this is, because of I'm dominant type one, a lot of these answers in this way of, of the coaching session will come out of a sense of intuition, not out of a book. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's a really personal experience that's, you know, I, I coach people weekly and sometimes they'll come in completely different the next week. So I don't have any kind of like idea of what, what Enneagram coaching is. There's no prescription of you need to see me once a week. You know, there's nothing like that. Yeah. Some people mm-hmm. I, I talk to once, some people want to do a monthly checkup. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say the answer is whoever presents is going to be how I then do the coaching and what their needs are. Because honestly, someone could come in with an autoimmune disease and I'll want to go there, right? Because that's my fix it, right? That's my one. And they were like, actually, no, I'd like to talk about my husband. And it's like, okay, all right, here we go. One thing will inform the other. Yeah. The more aware mm-hmm. we are on matters of the heart, the more our body is going to be receptive to that. So, it doesn't really matter how people come in. I think as long as we're paying attention to not fixing them and paying attention to um, how they're showing up and what they need, that's what's important. And then the more, you know, I guess intellectual answer is we're going to go through type. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the lost childhood messages, the basic drives, desires, things that you didn't get when you were little, things that, you know, we're going to learn about wings. We're going to learn about subtypes. We're going to learn about that sort of thing if they want to. Um, honestly, though, people just want to be heard. I think. Yeah. 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 I don't feel like we talked about really types at all in our session, but the questions (laughs) had me ponder and um, I worked with for, I would say a year, (laughs) you know, Um, and um, still am in many ways. So I think well, it, if you want me to come back and do like a, an overview of the types and the wings, and all of that stuff, we can, we can definitely do that. Um, I, again, I, I do feel though that the, the coming at the Enneagram from the perspective of there's nothing wrong with me. How can I learn more about who I am? And um, I don't have to fix anything. I don't have to be any different, but but let me just shine a light and let me be present with myself. And again, everything belongs. Everything is okay. That I think this, this, it's a good conversation to have rather than, because if anyone wants to, you can open a book or you can go on a meme or you can read all about the energy types. That to me reduces it to something less than I think what it has the potential to be, which is a lifelong learning experience in my perspective of, of transformation and awakening. Yeah. So, and, but yeah, if you, if you want me to come, we can talk about the, yeah, the no. help or the achiever, the individualist, we can do that talk too, for sure. And I think what's cool is like when we had our session, even though we didn't talk like so detailed about the types, like when you sent me home with those questions, 
um, I started to find answers to them in all different ways. You know, some of it was through reading the Enneagram book, but some of it was through, you know, pulling something from Ayurveda or pulling something from yoga and doing backbends and heart openers. So it was like the coaching session was like an invitation into all different things, you know, some of it based on the types and then other in Mm -hmm. other areas. So it was so cool. I incorporate a lot of different stuff into it. I mean, I, I was a, I'm a landmark form graduate, so I talk about stuff with that too. I mean, I've done a lot of different work with like nutrition and fitness. So that things come into it as like, again, like an amalgam. It's not just like Enneagram coaching. Yeah. The Enneagram is such a, a basic foundation of it that that's why I put it in the name. Yeah. Okay. I know we're getting at time now. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining me. And I just quickly... Um, wanted to mention that um, I'm going to link up all of those resources that you gave in the show notes and also um, how to book online with you um, through center. Is there anything else that you want to promote or tell the listeners about before we end? Mm. Well, one thing that I want to talk about a little bit is that a lot of these things, if you look at the communities that we're in, and I, I apologize, I don't know what your listeners are, but the community they are, but you just look at it, you and I, you know, what do we have in common? You know, basically, you're younger than me, but we're white women, right? And a lot of times we're in a groups of white women speaking to other white women. And I think the, the opportunity can be, especially right now, is to awaken to that idea that we've created limitations in our sphere of uh, you know, learning for sure, as well as sharing. And so one of the things that I'm, I'm adapting right now, trying to work with creating is a, is a nonprofit so that things like alternative therapies, acupuncture, body work, mental health therapies, Enneagram coaching, trauma work, movement, yoga, things like that can be shared with people who normally wouldn't have had access to them. So minorities, people of color, black people, people that just are living out in the middle of nowhere and wouldn't even know about it. Um, I would love to get these different communities served if they want to be by coming in and, and providing these, these things um, through a nonprofit. So that's one thing that I'm working on. The, the pandemic and the tornado kind of put a lot of stuff on hold, but you know, it, it, it's coming back into the forefront of importance because I'm seeing how this work has helped me in my own life kind of wake up to my own shit. And I would just really love to be working with anti-racism educators on how to, you know, because we're all going to be uniquely through the lens of our type uniquely asleep. Yeah. And so I think that that would be a really great service to be able to provide through the lens of, you know, a nonprofit. That's amazing. I can't wait to see how it uh, comes into formation in this new world that we are <laughs> entering yeah. into. And um, I think it's really important. And I think we all have much, much deep shadow work to do and mm-hmm. going to be needed now more than ever. Definitely. Um, well, I will, I will put all that information up in the show notes. If you guys want to find Ramona, um, just go there, click on the links. You can book sessions with her and I'll put up all those resources so you can learn more about the Enneagram. And then we can also do a follow-up podcast and get a little deeper into maybe just like the types and the personalities and all that stuff too. would love to. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ramona, for joining me today. And uh, stay tuned, everyone, for the second portion of the show. And I'm going to give you a forecast for the new moon.
Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to that interview and welcome to the second portion of the show. I'm going to give you a tarot forecast for the current new moon that will be coming up on the 21st. It is a new moon in Cancer. We are also approaching the summer solstice, which is happening on the 20th. We are shifting into cancer season and we are hitting that peak summertime energy with the longest day of the year. And we also have um, eclipse season, right? So we're having a solar eclipse in cancer. This is not an eclipse that you will see in the northern hemisphere, but we will definitely feel it energetically. And um, yeah, Venus just went direct, but we are in a Mercury retrograde. So there's lots and lots going on in the stars. There's lots and lots going on here as above, so below. And it's been um, a month since I've released. So I skipped the last full moon podcast just to take a little break. I was on a road trip and I was also just muting myself that week um, in honor of the Black Lives Matter movement and in order just to take some time to disconnect and reflect and, and really just take some time to look inward. And I've linked some resources in the show notes if you are looking for some information on how to be a supporter, how to be a strong ally. Um, I've linked some things that have helped me. And, you know, this is a tarot podcast and I obviously use tarot as a huge part of my practice. And I do believe that becoming a strong ally requires a lot of personal work and a lot of shadow work. And tarot has been an amazing, amazing tool for me to do that. And one of the things that I've been doing is just using my deck to help me move into this work and asking my deck, you know, how can I best show up? And we can all show up. We all have different lives. We all have different time and energy constrictions. We all have different strengths and weaknesses, but we can all show up. And it just really depends on who you are and where you are at this time in your life and what the best way to do that is. And for some people, showing up might mean getting really, really quiet and learning and listening and unlearning and facing their own shadow. And for some people, showing up might be getting really, really loud and going out and protesting. And for others, it might be showing up with your dollar and donating and supporting black businesses and organizations. Um, And yet for others, it might be teaching and sharing. And there's so many different ways that we can show up. And we really do need to get quiet and figure out what the best way for us is. And that might change 
right? As we go, as we do the work, it will change and deepen and widen. And so I've spent some time just doing that, just looking inward and using my tarot deck and pulling cards to ask, how can I best show up for this anti-racism movement now? How can I best explore these Um, concepts within myself? How can I uncover this racism that lives in my bones? And, you know, using the tarot is a really beautiful way to do that. Uh, You might pull swords cards and that might be a call to kind of look at your own shadow, your own fragility, your own sense of victimhood or mental conflict. You might pull pentacles and that might be a call to, again, use your money, use your resources. Um, You might pull wands and that might be a call into action to go out and use your voice and speak and protest. Um, You might pull the high priestess and that's telling you to look inward. Uh, There's so many different ways that the tarot can really help us to do this work. And so if you're listening and you do use the tarot as a resource, I encourage you to, um, to go ahead and use it now, right? To use it now the way that you would in your regular practice. Uh, and let it be just another tool. Uh, I think the hardest thing sometimes is knowing where to start and how to start, but we all have tools um, at our disposal, and the tarot has been an amazing one for me, and I hope it can be one for you as well. Okay, you guys, um, a few other announcements. I do have a virtual ceremony on Sunday, the 21st for the new moon. Um, so if you want to join me, it'll be via zoom and it is a digital, uh, online ceremony. I offer Reiki healing and meditation and tarot guidance, and it's just a great way to show up for each other, support each other, be in community, but also to get quiet and listen and relax the nervous system and receive some healing and guidance. So you can sign up on my website and I am, I have one more spot open for my mentorship. So if you'd like to study with me over the course of three months, one-on-one and dive deep into, uh, healing and, shadow work and moon phases and tarot and Reiki and all of the things, uh, you can find the application for that again on my website. So, okay, I'm going to dive into a little bit of what's going on uh, astrologically and with the moon phases, and then I'm going to give you the rundown on the cards I pulled for this new moon and for the next few weeks. So the thing about solar eclipses and eclipse season in general is that the effects of it last about six months. So the reading that I'm doing today will be amplified a bit. Um, The summer solstice is also happening, which is this peak time of light and illumination of the sun. And then um, the next earth holiday that we'll experience is the equinox in the fall. So we'll be with this energy for about three or four months as well. And so although I give a reading for every new and full moon period, which is about two weeks, you may feel some of these themes continuing on because eclipses 
tend to speed up, amplify, and intensify whatever themes show up at this time. And so a new moon is generally a time that I get quiet with myself and set intentions for the next cycle. And the new moon is influenced always by the sign that it's in. And a new moon occurs when the sun and the moon are in the same sign in the same degree. So in this case, it is in Cancer. Cancer is a water sign. It's a deeply emotional and sensitive sign. It represents family and the home and nourishment and emotional safety and security. And when the sun and the moon line up in this sign, we can set themes or set intentions rather around themes that correlate with this sign. Or we may see in our lives based on where cancer is in our chart, these themes being amplified. And so a good way to work with new moon energy is to see where that um, energy is in your own personal chart. So you might look to see if you have any planets in Cancer or what house Cancer is in in your chart to go a little deeper into that. Now, with the solar eclipse here, like I said, these themes might feel a little more intense, a little more amplified. And then we're also in a Mercury retrograde. And so Mercury retrograde is when Mercury um, and the themes around Mercury, there are communication. And so these things tend to slow down. So even though one part of our chart is being sped up, Mercury retrograding is also asking us to reflect, review, and kind of rest in the sense of how we're communicating and what we're communicating. Mercury also rules over technology and travel, and so we might see delays in these areas, although these things are already being delayed by the pandemic. Um, and so, yeah, it is a lot of energy happening all at once. So some of it's conflicting, but it's all perfectly aligned. Now, the cards that I pulled for us, I really love what I'm seeing here. This week, I'm using the Wild Unknown deck by Kim Kranz, and I asked for a message for this new moon. And the card that I pulled was the Queen of Cups. And the Queen of Cups so perfectly embodies Cancer, and especially a new moon in Cancer, because the moon is associated with water. The moon is the sign associated with Cancer, is ruled by the moon. And so the Queen of Cups is this double water energy, and this new moon in Cancer is definitely this double water energy. And she is... Um, extremely sensitive, extremely intuitive. She is psychic. She is um, 
nourishing and nurturing to others on an emotional level. She's definitely this big mama energy that has an open heart. Um, And in her shadow, you know, she has to be careful of her boundaries. She does tend to kind of forget where she ends and others begin, but in her really strong upright form, which is how I pulled her, um, she really speaks to sitting with our feminine energy, tapping into our emotions to give way into a deeper sense of who we are, to give way into a sense of compassion for others, and to really be able to hold space for others. That is a huge gift of hers. Now, with her, I pulled the emperor in the reversed position. And this really shows me that this new moon is an invitation into the feminine energy and out of the masculine, right? And we can look at this on an individual perspective of just like tapping into our own emotional landscape, being more passive, taking time. Like I said, it's Mercury retrograde to do more rest, to do more meditation, to do more reflection, journaling, gardening, internal things that keep us quiet and listening, quiet and listening right? The emperor upright is all about action, but in his reversal, we need to cut down on action. This is not a time for productivity. This is not a time for doing, doing, doing. This is not a time for proving. This is a time for honoring the feminine and kind of releasing some of those toxic masculine traits, right? That can get us in trouble. And the emperor reversed tends to want to control. He is aggressive. He can be manipulative, right? And so stepping out of that and into a feminine energy, which is asking us to be quiet. Now, for what we are releasing, I pulled the Eight of Swords, which in the Wild Unknown deck is actually Um, there's a sword and there is a butterfly that's in a cocoon hanging from the sword. And then all seven swords below it are pointed at that butterfly. The cocoon is gone. So you can actually see the wings of the butterfly wrapped around itself. And there's this energy in the eight of swords of like feeling trapped. The butterfly has already transformed so it can open its wings at any time to fly away, but it's not because of the fear of being damaged by these sharp swords around it. But the medicine of the eight really gives us and tells us that we can open up and spread our wings and move on. That feeling of being stuck is just an illusion. And when I pull the eight of swords, it really is this feeling of being stuck. Like we've been trying the door, trying the door, trying the door. And what we don't realize is that the window has been open the whole time, but we haven't shifted our perspective. We've stayed really narrow-minded on one thing and we've missed out on many other opportunities. And that where we want to grow and expand is absolutely accessible, but we need to shift our perspective. We need to just shift our gaze and try something new, right? I always think of the The definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. And I really think that right now 
we can see this on a collective level, right? That for years and decades, we've been trying the door, trying the door, trying the door, and nothing has happened. And we've kind of become complacent and we have let things happen and we have allowed racism to be accepted and kind of swept under the rug. Like, oh, this is just how things are. And all of a sudden, this pandemic came and we were able to get really, really quiet. And in that time, we were able to see and wake up to a lot of the social injustice that is happening in our world and and be actually motivated to act instead of just to think. Um, And the card that I pulled with the Eight of Swords is Temperance, which is a call for balance, a call to temper. And I also think of this card as like guardian angels and guidance, divine guidance and divine intervention. And we can see the balance that is happening now, right? With the first two cards we pulled, the Queen of Cups and the Emperor. We can see how we've been in a system that isn't working, a system of violence and oppression, and how we are learning to fight and speak against this system and to have this be dismantled. Because at the end of the day, we can't continue to change and grow within a system that does not work within a system that was built to oppress. And so with this eight of swords, this is a huge expansion in the narrative. This is a huge expansion in the way that we've been thinking. And temperance is like, yes, it is time to shift the narrative from this toxic masculine energy into this feminine energy, this open, protective compassionate, receptive energy. And then I asked for the, the last card that I pulled, what we are heading into. So what energy we really need right now to embrace. And I pulled the Knight of Pentacles. And in this deck, it is a, it is a deer. Um, it's a male deer, a buck, and its head is down. And it has this kind of like... Um, determined look. And this really is this energy of like slow and steady. And I really have felt that over the last two weeks, as there's been all of this energy being poured into this movement and it's gorgeous and it's created so much change already. However, this is only the beginning. This is only the beginning of decades of work to come. This will not happen in days. It will not happen in weeks. It will not happen in months. It will happen in years and years. The the pentacles energy, the earth energy is slow and steady and determined. And what it's heading into is the 10 of pentacles, which is abundance and community and really the, the apex of this, the energy of this suit, right, is in the 10. And it's it's when we have an abundance of balance 
in earth energy, balance in our resources. And what I'm hoping that this is really giving us is balance in the way that resources can be distributed, that funds can be distributed so that there is not power and privilege only in this very small group of white men. Um, and so the medicine that I'm really pulling from the Knight of Pentacles is a little <laughs> every single day, right? Slow and steady wins the race. So we don't burn out because this is a long game. This is not a sprint this is a marathon and we've got to conserve our energy and our resources. The Knight of Pentacles is calling us to keep us grounded, to keep us in our bodies, to keep reminding us that we need to, to see this as a long game, right? We really need to look ahead and make sure that we are staying centered and grounded and in our bodies and nourishing ourselves on an actual physical level. So I'm talking about like physically working on our root chakra so that we can continue to do this work for the long run so that we don't just do it for a week or two weeks or a month and then burn out. Okay, you guys, so really I feel like this is a gorgeous energy that reflects a lot of what we see going on in the collective, but also on a personal level. And we do have to remember that like collective change starts within. And I feel like we can get so lost in looking at what's happening in the world and feeling like we can't do anything about it and feeling really victimized and helpless. But everything we do affects all the people around us and it has such wide reaching effects. And so even if you only concentrate on yourself and nourishing yourself this week and grounding yourself this week and seeing where you can shift some of your narratives and perspectives and doing just a little bit of work, whether it's a little bit of reading or a little bit of journaling or a little bit of having difficult conversations every day, um, whatever it is, that is part of this movement because the more that we learn to deal with our own shadow, the more we can create change and hold space for those with shadow around us. And what is going to really fuel this movement is love and compassion and how we can move forward as human beings who care and are demanifesting selfishness and are demanifesting um, harboring fear and anger and hate. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining me here. I really appreciate you listening. I really appreciate your support. So I hope that you found this reading um, helpful in some way. And if you like it, please support or share. It means a lot to me. I look forward to hearing from you and I hope you have a blessed 
summer solstice, a wonderful new moon, and that, as always, you take care.